excuse me. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We are continuing on with our sermon series entitled, Authority, Who Wears the Crown? And uh, last week, we, uh, that's wrong by the way, Romans 13, that was last week. Romans, we're looking at Matthew 18, verse 18, uh, starting there and reading the rest of that passage. And uh, last couple of weeks, we've looked at the authority of God and how God uses His authority for good and how we are to respond to the authority of God. We've looked at the authority of government and how God has delegated some of His authority to that institution and how we are to respond towards that. And this week, we move on to the authority of the church. For those of you that are concerned... Know that next week is the end of this sermon series, um, and so you won't have to listen to authority much longer, um, but uh, this is an important topic. And as I said before, we can gather together as community, but until we understand how to respond to God's authority in these areas, we will never be God-centered community. Um, and so it's important for us to, to look at these things and to think about them, and I, I've talked with several of you this week who... Last week's sermon was tough. Join the crowd. It's tough. It's hard to respond to authority in a godly manner. Um, no matter where it... Because we are people of rebellion. We have been since the fall. That God created us. And our first, one of our first actions as human beings was to rebel against the authority that we had. And so when we talk about this subject, it's not an easy one. And it doesn't change because we look at the authority of the church. That we still bristle against that word. We still bristle against what that looks like at times. But remember this. And it's the same as what we talked about last week. When God places authority in our lives, it is, a, it is for our good. Now, it doesn't mean that man doesn't abuse authority. It doesn't mean that at times authority doesn't get mistreated. But in, at the very core, God has placed authority in our lives for good. And it is part of His grace towards us. And the same is true for the church. The church was established for our good, for our benefit, for, our, for grace towards us. And yes, at times it has been abused. And yes, at times there are those that have been mistreated. And we should be the first to apologize for that. And the first to say, I'm sorry, friend, that you were treated that way, but that's not the, what God intended for His church to be. Let me tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I pray that as we listen to about the authority of God and what it was founded, that we would remember that, that this is about grace and this is about his love towards us. It's not about control. So if you would, hopefully you've had time to find Matthew chapter 18. If you would stand with me, that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, and then we'll read a little bit farther down than that. Starting in 18, it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for the church. Lord, we thank you for the brothers and sisters that we gather together with this morning who have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ 
that you have pulled us together as one assembly, as one family. And Lord, now you have given us authority to go and to make disciples. You have given us authority to protect the church. You've given us authority to proclaim truth in a world that desperately needs all of those things. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would take your word, that you would open it up, that you would help us to understand it, that you would help us to fall in love with it. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is uh, somewhat of an emotional topic for me, in part, because I love the church. I love the church. I love this church. I love these people, but I love the global church. I love my brothers and sisters. Maybe you've not had this experience, but I love it when you get on a plane and you sit down next to someone, and there's always a little bit of fear. If you've never flown, maybe you've not experienced this, but if you've flown, you know this fear. Who am I going to have to sit next to? It is one of the greatest fears in all of humanity. Maybe more than heights and public speaking. Who am I going to have to sit next to on the plane? But you come and you sit down and there are times when you immediately know, I've got a connection with this person. And you begin to talk and it is not too long until you realize that they're a believer. They're part of the church. And all of a sudden you have church right there. It's an assembly together. It's an amazing thing, and I I love that. I love the connection that God has given us through His blood and through the gospel. And so it's a little bit emotional because of that. It's emotional because of what the church has meant in my life and, and the testimony that I have. And so as we look this morning, again, I, I just want to encourage you to remember the grace of God in establishing the church. I, I did this slide last week when we talked about uh, a government, but the de- God has delegated his authority. We've talked about, two weeks ago, we talked about God's great authority over all creation and what that looks like. But in God's great wisdom, he has delegated some of that authority. He does that. He, that's just who he is. He delegates authority. Why he does this is maybe something of a mystery. Why would God give authority to someone like us? And yet, I think in part, it's because he's a good father. God delegates authority because he's a good father. He desires for us to to have ownership over things. He desires us to, to be a part of the work that he's doing. I think part of it is the fact that he knows that For some of us, we need something tangible. We need to see God's actions in in a real manner. And so he delegates justice to the government, that the government may cover cover that, that the government may uh, carry out the will of God towards injustice. He, He delegates to others for other purposes. And we see that God delegates authority to the church and that God has established the church. If you turn back to verse 16, or sorry, chapter 16, and look there in chapter 16 towards the middle of the passage, and actually it's verse 18 is a good place to start. Matthew records Peter giving the great confession. Peter confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and Jesus responds to him in verse 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that rock being the gospel, 
On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It sounds very familiar to what we just read in chapter 18. Jesus establishes his church on the gospel and then tells Peter, you're going to have some authority as part of that. And then a couple of chapters later, he expands Peter's authority to all believers. We all have this authority. If that's the case, then we should be very careful with how we define church and how we define her authority. So let's look at our passage just a little bit, dig in a little bit here, and, and try to define some of these topics and then, give, and then flesh out what we're looking at here. First, we have to ask the question, or we have to look at the phrase, gathered in my name. And we have to ask the question first, what is the church? What is the church? First, it is a gathering of the people. It's a gathering of the people. We get the word church from a Greek word, that means the Lord's house. And certainly we kind of understand that, that the Lord that the, the word calls the church kind of a building and it has foundations. We certainly think of church as a as a place of worship. But when we think about church, we really should go beyond the building. The word that the the New Testament uses is a Greek word, ecclesia. And that word means the assembly. It has nothing to do with a building. It has nothing to do with a location. It has to do with people coming together. And so when we think about the church, we must think about the gathering of people. This is yet another reminder that we cannot do church on our own. You can't go out and to be a lone Christian, a lone ranger Christian, and think that you're going to grow spiritually. In fact, Doug walked in and looked at my bookshelf, and the first thing he says, have you read, the, read this book? It talks about this very topic. We have to have assembly. We have to gather together. The second question we must ask is what unites the church? What, why are we gathering together? Why are we gathering together? So we have first, we have what is the church, then what unites the church? What unites the church, Jesus says, is the gospel. Okay? It's the gospel. It's the name of Jesus. Look there in our passage once again. Look at in verse 20. It says, For two or more are gathered. Why? In my name. In my name. So we don't just gather together. We don't just assemble for no purpose. We gather together because of the gospel. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, that the foundation for the church is the gospel. It's the confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. If we gather together for any other reason, then we are not God's church. We are something else. There are plenty of other assemblies that we can be a part of. But the reason we gather together, the reason that the church gathers together, is in the name of the gospel. And we must agree upon that. We must agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We must agree that He is Lord. We must agree that we, as humans, have sinned and suffer the consequences of that sin through eternal, uh, through eternal hell. That we must agree that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, lived a perfect life as both God and man, and then gave His life willingly on the cross, shedding His blood to pay our penalty. We must agree that He rose again from the grave three days later, and that now He sits at the right hand of God, preparing an eternity for us. 
We must agree on those things. If we don't agree on those things, then we're not the, the church. If we have a, someone come to us and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the born-again Son of God, or that He's been born, that He is the Son of God, that He did all those things, I want to become a member, then we invite them wholly and we say, yeah, come in and worship with us. If we have someone come to our midst and say, I want to be a member, but I believe Jesus is just a good teacher, and I don't have to do everything He says, then we say, I'm sorry, friend. Come, worship with us, be a part of us, but you can't be a member here. You're not a part of the church. Because that's not the gospel. That's not what we agree on. That's not what unites us. So the church is an assembly of people who are united in the name of Jesus Christ under the true gospel. And the church is given authority by Christ. Jesus gives authority to the church. Look there at the end of that verse, verse 20 that we've been looking at. It says, for two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's huge, by the way. There I am among them. Jesus there is claiming omnipresence. Don't ever let anyone tell you Jesus never claimed to be God. That is a lie. Jesus claimed to be God all the time. He didn't always say that. He didn't always say, I am God. But he consistently gave himself attributes that can only belong to God. And so here he says, if two or three are gathered in my name in the gospel, that's where I am. He is claiming omnipresence. He's claiming Godship. And here's the awesome thing. When he says that he is in our presence, that means he is giving us the stamp of approval. He's saying, this is, these are my people. And they have my authority. They are my people, and they have my authority. You look there at what he says in the rest of the passage that we read. He says, truly, whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose shall be loosed. If, you ask, if two of you ask, then my Father will give it. It will be done. He is giving us incredible authority. So Jesus establishes the church, the assembly, he gives, us, he gives the church a, a purpose. We, we come together as the church, united in the gospel, and then he gives us authority. The question now is, what is it that we're to be doing? If, if someone gives you authority, they are expecting you to accomplish something. So what are we to be doing? We go to the verse right before, in verse 19, it says again, if I say to Say, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them and by my Father in heaven. It will be done. It will be done. That's an interesting way. There's, there's actually a couple of different ways to translate that. Probably the best way to translate that really would be, it has been, will be done. But that doesn't sound good in English. So we just left part of that off. It has been, will be done. What do we mean by that? Why, why is it important to clarify that? Because too often we come to this verse and we try to pull it out of the context of all of Scripture and say that we get to pray and dictate to God what He's going to do. We're two of us together, so me and my wife get together and we're, we're gathered over. We believe in the Gospel and we say, you know what? We believe God is going to give us, that God should give us a new car. We don't really need one but we would just like to have one. And so we believe that if we gather together and we get in to pray hard enough over that, that it will happen. God has to honor it because he said if two of us agree on it, then it will happen. I don't know about you, but that's never worked. That is completely out of the context of Scripture. 
We don't get to dictate anything to God, ever. So what is Christ saying? Well, let me give it to you this way. When I was growing up, there were certain things that I knew if I asked for that I might get, and there were certain things that I knew if I asked for I would get. So, for example, if I went up to my dad and I said, Hey, Dad, I want the new Madden NFL game came out for PlayStation. Can you buy that for me? I knew the likelihood of that happening was low. Now, if it was a birthday or Christmas, maybe. But the likelihood was low. However, if I went up to my dad and I said, Hey, Dad, uh, I want to go fishing. Or I need a new fishing rod so we can go fishing. The likelihood of that happening was about 100%. Why the difference? Why the difference? Because my dad loved fishing. I knew that if I went to my dad and I said, Dad, my soul is corresponding with your soul. My desires correspond with your desires. Let's do this together. There was almost no chance of my dad saying no to that. There was almost every chance of him packing the truck before I got it out of my mouth. The same is true when we come to God. When we gather together in the gospel and we begin to look more like the Father, our soul begins to love the things that he loves and our soul begins to, to be passionate about the things that he's passionate about. So we begin to pray for the things that he wants and when that happens, we have a good father who gives good blessings and will answer our prayers. That is what he's saying and that's why it's important. It has been done, it will be done. God has already willed it. He knew it before you prayed it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pray, just means he has. Now he's going to do it. When we see this verse, we should understand that this is the visible action of God's will. The visible action of God's will that He accomplishes through our prayers. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. The kingdom of God and what He wills. So it's not it will be done, we get to dictate. It's will be done because we have become more like Him. Because we've drawn close to the Father. So our authority is based on what God already desires. It also is dependent on changed hearts. It's dependent upon changed hearts. The assumption throughout the New Testament is that when we gather together assembly and that we are gathered together on the foundation of the gospel, that when we use our authority and we make decisions as a church that we are doing so as born again believers this is why and i'm not going to stay on this soapbox very long this is why membership is so important because when we gather together to the best of our ability we should know that the guy or the lady sitting next to us is a born again believer and their heart is pursuing Christ so when they vote on a subject one way or another their eyes are on Jesus and their eyes aren't on the world where the church gets in trouble is when we don't protect membership and we allow anyone to join or anyone to remain joined and then we allow them to vote and their eyes aren't on Christ. Their eyes are out here. And then the church gets divided because somebody's looking at one thing and somebody's looking at another. And then we get in ourselves in all kinds of messes. All right, I'm going to move on. So we have the visible action. It's dependent upon changed hearts. And it is elder-led. And the reason that I add this is because anytime you see the church use authority 
or, or uh, flex its uh, muscles, so to speak, not in a bad way, just in a, in a use way, you always see elders there. Why is that? Well, when you gather people together, people get easily distracted. We begin to run every, every which way. We'll run over here for a little bit, and then we'll run over here for a little bit, and then we'll run over for here a little bit. And part of that's because we all have been called to different ministries inside the church. So we get excited about one thing, and we get excited about another thing, and that's okay. But God, in his grace and his mercy, puts elders over the church to make sure we're all headed in the same direction, to make sure we're all going the same place. And it's always in plurality. Anytime you see elders, you're going to see a plurality. It's more than one individual. And so God places those guys there to prayerfully consider the word, to prayerfully consider the circumstances and say, church, this is the direction we should be going. And then they hand that over. Notice I don't say elder ruled. It's not elders dictating what the church should do. It's elders saying, we have looked at the scriptures, we have prayed over the circumstances, and here's the conclusion that we come to. Church, what do you think? No matter what, all of these passages, that's what you're going to see. All of these things we're going to look at next, that's what you're going to see. The, there was a problem with service to the widows. The issue is brought to the elders. The elders pray over it, and then the elders present a solution to the church and say, what do you think? And the, churches do, the church does what? They say, hey, that sounds fantastic. Here are the guys we want to be deacons. Make them go do it. That, and it's that way throughout Acts. It's not elder ruled. It's elder led. And so we need to understand that, that God has put authority inside the church even. Authority ultimately belongs to the members of the church. But God has even put some authority into the eldership as a means of grace and a means of wisdom. All right, let's give some examples of that. So we know that, that authority is because Jesus Christ based the church on the gospel. He unites us in that cause. He unites us in that truth. We know that he has given us some parameters which that works. How does that work out? What, what should we be doing then? What does the New Testament show us? Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, a very famous passage that you probably know, helps us to understand that one of the things, probably the most important thing that the church has given an authority to do is to proclaim the kingdom. Look here in Matthew chapter 8, 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus is speaking with his disciples at the very end. And he says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the age, end of the age. So Jesus says, Look, I have all authority over everything. Again, claim of Godship. And he says, So therefore, because I have authority, therefore go and make disciples. I am giving you, as my ambassadors, I am giving you authority to go and to proclaim the kingdom. The best example I can give you of this is just an ambassador today. Let's say you have the ambassador of Germany comes and visits the United States. What is he there to do? He's there, he's been given authority to proclaim the ideals and the goals and the, the uh, thoughts of the German government. He has been given authority to proclaim it, and at times he has been given authority to negotiate with other governments. You and I have been given authority by the king to go into the world and proclaim the ideals and the truth of the kingdom of God. 
We should see that as an incredible honor and an incredible, an incredible privilege, an incredible opportunity. Not only that, but we should understand that if he has given us the authority, then we will succeed. Not everyone you share the gospel with will come to Jesus Christ, but there will be someone because he has said so. That's why I love the doctrine of sovereignty, by the way. Another sermon for another day. Proclaiming the kingdom. We also proclaim the truth. He says there, go and teach what I have taught you. Go teach what I have taught you. Teach it all. He says this is part of the authority, that you keep the truth of the gospel pure. We see this play out, by the way, in Acts chapter 15. I'm not going to read that whole chapter. We're going to have to fly through this. But Acts chapter 15, this is what's happened. The Gentiles are coming to Jesus. The Gentiles are accepting the gospel. And the Jews are like, what in the world is that about? I mean, they are flipping out. And some in the Jewish sect are saying, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. You have to be part of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And Paul and Barnabas, who are in Antioch at this time, are going, that doesn't sound right. And honestly, if someone told me that I had to be circumcised to be a Christian, I would probably say the same thing. That doesn't sound right. Okay? Okay, that was somewhat funny. Give me something. I know we're in COVID. I know we haven't been here in a while. Okay? But you would question that. You should question that. So Paul and Barnabas go to the church in Jerusalem and say, hey, what is the deal with this? So what happens? The elders gather together. They look at the scripture. They pray together. And eventually they say, this is the will of God. This is, this is what God has shown us. And then they take that to the church and they say, church, this is what we believe. We believe this is false teaching. We believe this is not from God. This is what we should direct our brothers and sisters, the Gentiles, to do for those who have come to know the Lord. And that is, don't worry about the old law. Worry about the new law. And what's the church do? The church, it says, are silent. They're contemplating, they're thinking. Okay, is that, yeah, 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 okay. And then they agree. And they say, yep, that's what we should do. And they appoint two or three brothers to go back with Paul and Barnabas to share the good news of, of this decision and the word of God. That's proclaiming the truth. If you look at all of the letters of Paul, almost every single one of them deals with false teaching. And Paul is saying, get rid of it. Protect yourself against it. So, we use our authority to proclaim the gospel. We use our authority to proclaim the truth of the word of God. And we use our authority to proclaim the workers. Okay, this one I kind of stretched with the word proclaiming, but I wanted to use it again. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 13. We see, both, we see it happening in both of these things. Alright? So first, we see the establishment of the deacons. That they say, hey, we need servants to carry out the ministry of the church. And the church looks among them and says, that guy is one, that guy's one, that guy's one. Not because those guys were special in the sense that they had great uh, skills, but they were seen already as servants. And, and the church was saying, we see this in you, and so you are the lo logical choice. And they lay hands on them, and they begin to do ministry. In chapter 13 of Acts, let me make sure I'm getting that right. Chapter 13 of Acts... We see Paul and, and, and is being called as a missionary, and the church confirms that. The church comes alongside Paul and says, yeah, we totally see that. And they lay hands on him, not because they want him gone, but because they know this is God's will, and they pray over him, and they send him out. In the same way, we as a church should be coming alongside brothers and sisters and identifying those who have been called into ministry 
And when someone says, this is my heart, that God has called me into missions, or God has called me into service as a deacon, or God has called me into this, that we would help them to examine their lives, and we would come along and say, yes, we see that in you. And we want to bless you, and we want to pray for you. And sometimes we come along and say, hey, what about this area? We need, let's grow together. Let's spiritually mature. If God's calling you to that, then let's walk this journey together. But let's hold off on that amendment while God continues to sanctify us together. Sometimes you've got to speak truth into it too. Just because a guy comes forward and says, I should be a pastor. But you know his life does not think that. His, <laughs> then you need to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just push the brakes a little bit and pray about it and grow together in this. So we proclaim the workers. Lastly, we proclaim the members. We, we, our authority is about proclaiming the members. This is the difficult one. We hear, hey, we should proclaim the gospel. And we're like, Amen. We, say, we hear that we should proclaim the truth and get rid of false teaching. Amen. We hear that we should proclaim the workers to ordain ministers of the gospel. We say amen. We say that we should proclaim the members and say this is who belongs to us and this who doesn't. And we say, because that's difficult. That gets personal. And yet, that's what we see in Scripture. Look back at Matthew chapter 18. Right before he says the verses, Jesus gives us the verses that we read this morning. What is he talking about? He says, if your brother sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And then he goes on to give some prescription for what happens after that. In verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The authority of the church is to say these are our people and these are not. Paul in Corinthians, there's an individual who's having an improper relationship with his mother-in-law, we think. And Paul says, why are you allowing this to happen? You need to remove him from membership. Man, that sounds so harsh. It sounds so unloving until you understand what Jesus is talking about, about loosening, loosing and binding. When Jesus talks about loosing and it being loosed in heaven and binding and being binded in heaven, we see that as one thing leading to the next. But actually, it's the flip. What we are saying is what the church is identifying is work that's already been accomplished in heaven. So when we say this person is a member of the church, what we are saying is by every grace given to us, by all fruit produced, this individual has been saved. Not that we save them, but God has saved them and they're a new person, so we proclaim that. So we are baptizing them and we are allowing them to participate in the Lord's Supper and they have a vote and authority in our church. However, we also have the authority... In the church, not for outsiders, Paul clarifies that, but in the church to look at the individual and say, we know that you made a statement of faith, but your life does not speak to that. You have no fruit, you have no repentance, and therefore heaven would say you're not saved, and so we are going to exclude you from the membership for this time. Again, that sounds harsh. Let me put it another way. There are people in our community, there are people around this United States who say, I am saved because I am a member of First Baptist Church Vandalia. And that is the only evidence of their salvation in their life. And as long as we allow them to remain on the membership, we are telling them, yes, you are right. 
we are condemning them. We condemn them by saying that that is the gospel, that your name is on a roll. When we should be saying, I'm sorry, friend, we don't see it in your life, you're not a part of us, you have no fruit in your life, we are worried about your soul. And for right now, you are not a member here. This is the testimony of this church. Go back and read the business minutes of the early 1900s when we were founded and every business meeting, there were those that were being called before the church who were unrepentant for public sin. The church does not, public, uh, the church does not punish private emotions. We can't say you're not a member because you're prideful. You're not a member because whatever. But if it's a public sin that's unrepentant, then we do. And they would bring them forward and praise to God. They would vote and say you're not a member. And then two or three months later, you would see that person come back and say, I'm sorry, I've repented. And the church would say, come back in. You had to have two-thirds, you had to have 67% to vote a person out of membership. You had to have 51% to vote them back in. It's an easy thing to come back in if they're repentant. It's a loving thing to say we are worried about your soul. That we are worried about you. I'll give you my testimony, and I, I know I'm pushing it, but give you my testimony. Brothers and sisters, I, I love you. And, but there was a time in my life, there was a time in my life when I hated the church. There was a time in my life when I hated what it had to do with, when I didn't want to be around it. I went to church and I smiled when I was at church because I knew that if I stopped going to church that then people would be worried. Because then people would come after me. So I went to church just to make other people happy, but I didn't want to be there. And I'm so thankful, though, for church members who knew my life. Who knew my life and they pursued me. For guys that would grab me by the shoulders and say, what are you doing? I didn't like them. At times, I wanted to punch them in the face. But they loved me. They pursued me until finally God used a two-by-four, not literally, to bang me over the head and say, no, seriously, what are you doing, friend? And I came back. And here's the thing. When I came back, then the struggle wasn't with this. Then the struggle was, how could I be a believer and be a sinner? How could I be a believer and have those three years of my life? And then it was the church not pursuing me. Then it was the church encouraging me and saying, "We, you are a member here. You are involved here because we see the fruit in your life of your salvation. Don't doubt your salvation, brother or sister. You are one of us. And I needed people to say that to me. But brothers and sisters, how can we say, you're a member here, therefore believe and trust in your salvation if we're just allowing anyone to be a member? It means nothing at that point. If we say, you're a member, therefore we believe in the fruit of the Spirit in you. So don't doubt your salvation. And then they look across and they see a guy that's a member here who lives however he wants, and they go, wait, is he a believer too? That's not the authority of the church being acted out. That's not loving. 
Brothers and sisters, we have the proclamation of the gospel. We have the proclamation of the truth. We have proclaiming of the workers. And we have the authority of proclaiming the members. And we must take that seriously. All four of them. In love. So what is our task then? We proclaim God's truth. Very simply. We just do these things. We proclaim God's truth. We proclaim the gospel. As those that have been given authority in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be shouting it from the rooftops. It should be evident in everything that we do. Second, we should be rescuing one another. We should be rescuing one another. Living life with one another so we know each other's lives and going after somebody. Who's not here that should be here? Who's that person for you? Who's your one? That you know that their name is on the membership, but they are not here. Do you have a heart of rescue? Will you be a friend that goes and grabs them by the shoulders and say, I love you. What are you doing? Lastly, we should be about encouraging one another. The authority of the church ultimately is for the encouragement of the believer to help those who doubt their salvation to say, no, we see this in you. You are part of the family. We love you. Have faith. To see gifts and abilities in them and say, brother, sister, we see how God has given you this talent and this ability. Use it. Go for it. You can do it. I know that you don't think you're a teacher. I know that you don't think that you can serve food to people. I know that you don't think that you can handle children. But I see this in you. Do it. We believe in you. God has given us the authority. Don't be shy. The authority of the church is not an evil thing. The authority of the church is not a controlling thing. The authority of the church is a loving, graceful thing. Let's use it that way. Let's stop being afraid of it. Let's stop being afraid of the word authority. It's God's grace. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe this morning you're here and you're a believer and you've doubted your faith and you've doubted your salvation and and I want to just say to you that I pray that you'll continue to search that out. But if you're a member here, come and talk to me because I want to encourage you in that. I hope that we as a church can encourage you in your salvation if it's true and real. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that there's someone that's not been here in a long time that needs to be rescued. I pray that you begin praying for them now and praying how God would use you in that situation. Maybe you're here and you have based your salvation on your name being part of the role here. You're just like, hey, I go to church there. That makes me a Christian. I was baptized there at once. I was, I'm a Christian. But you live your life outside of the authority of gospel and outside the authority of the church. And this morning you're like, wait a minute. Maybe there's something I hear I need to take stock of. I pray that you would just come before God and say, am I yours? That you would come talk to someone 
Come talk to me. Come talk to one of our deacons. Come talk to one of our folks. We would love to have that discussion. I know it's scary. I know it's scary to think, man, everyone here thinks I'm a Christian. But I'm not. Trust me, there will be no happier individuals in this world for you to come forward than us. This morning, I just pray that you would respond as God is moving in your heart. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for everything that you give us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would just pour your grace out on us. Lord, these are difficult things. Lord, authority is is a word that we don't like, that we get scared of, and we get scared of using it. Father, I pray that you would help to change our hearts and how we view the authority of the church, that we would view it in the love and the grace that it is, and that we would exercise it to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim your truth, to encourage and to come alongside each other, and to proclaim the membership. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us grace as we do this. Lord, that we would not be a church that gets legalistic, that we would not be a church that would run too far one direction, that we would not be a church that, that just flexes authority just to the sake of flexing it, but Lord, that we would be a church that loves people and loves the gospel. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to respond. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can stand with us this morning.